you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Today, I'm joined by Neha Mandani. Neha is a certified executive leadership coach who works with people-first leaders and organizations committed to investing in their people. She is also deeply passionate about supporting mothers on their leadership journeys, both at work and at home, and runs several communities for mothers. She spent 15 years in the corporate world while honoring her dreams and callings on the margins, writing at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning or coaching a client when her kids were in bed. She's now stepped out on her own, having designed a life to make more space to do what work she feels was hers to do and a life that feels in integrity with her purpose. Neha, welcome to the show. I am so looking forward to this conversation. I've been looking forward to it ever since our first meeting. It was so lovely to be in conversation with you, and I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. Hi, Kathy, and the feeling is mutual. I am, again, so honored, so grateful to be to be on this show, to be with your people, and um, looking forward to where we go today. Yes, great. Well, as you know, I often start on the podcast with individuals' personal career journeys and their ambitions, so I'd love to start with having you share a little bit back about your background, your childhood, and your upbringing as when we talked first, you shared how that, as it does for many of us, really shaped your perspectives. And then perhaps you can connect the dots for us from there to where you landed at your first work opportunity. Yeah. Um, You know, so true, right? Our childhoods and our experiences shape so much of our journey, even though in the moment it's like, how does X lead to Y lead to Z? And, you know, as Steve Jobs said, you know, the pattern is often more clear looking back. So, I've been thinking a lot about this question myself over the last couple of years. And and I think there are a few childhood experiences that really shaped who I am today. One was I grew up in a country where women's voices were very conveniently silenced. So to give you perspective, I was in fourth grade when I had to cover my legs with tights because there are boys and they should not be seeing that part of my body. And I don't know if I made too much of it as, as I feel now, when I'm even just saying it out loud, you can probably feel the emotion in my body. Um, so that was that part of my childhood. Um, and that eventually, in some ways, um, I'm keeping the story short, led me to boarding school. I actually went to a, an all-girls boarding school in India. And I had the exact opposite experience of just seeing, you know, what happens when you give women's voices power, when you give them space to really lead. And I will still say I met some of the most confident, most interesting women um, while I was there. So it was such a such a contrast watching, you know, both sides of what happens to women's voices. So that was a very transformative experience. Um, Then I would say my mom, um, I have to really, really acknowledge and thank her for really exposing me 
to emotional intelligence. I mean, I still remember that was just a conversation we had in our house. And I was always very curious about sort of, again, I don't think I had language then, but really the intersection of spirituality, human thriving, human behavior. Um, and, you know, what does all of that mean? I remember buying a Deepak Chopra book for my dad uh, for his birthday in my teens. And again, I, I don't think I fully, I, I don't, I definitely did not read the book, but there was probably something about the cover and, and what does this mean about, you know, just human behavior that was very interesting for me. I was good at math and science. I grew up, you know, people from, you know, that that part of the world or, or you know, exposure to that way of living can probably relate, but I was good at math and science and it was very natural, very obvious that, okay, you know, that's the professional choice you make. I, I became an engineer, uh, but that, that seed was again planted for me. And then I would say, both my parents and just the way I was raised, service and contribution was a very important part of how we lived. So my dad's a doctor, my mom's a pharmacist. So of course we, you know, we had a relatively stable home, but it was very important in our family that we, that it's not just about our paycheck. It's not just about, you know, food on the table for us. Like service was really important. My dad spent a lot of his time serving low-income patients. So that really, you know, I, I think I saw very closely, like you can do both, right? You're providing for yourself, but you're also giving back in the world. So that really shaped my 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 worldviews in many ways. And then I would say, you know, so I, I went to India when I was 13. So I went to boarding school all by myself. Now I'm like, I don't know how I did it. Bless my parents to let their teenage daughter go without, you know, this is free cell phone, free internet, all of that. Maybe that was a blessing in some ways. They probably worried less, but still. Um, and, you know, you just see so much poverty firsthand. And I remember, you know, we would take my, my, both my parents' homes were in smaller cities. So we'd fly into Bombay or Delhi, which were big Indian cities. And then we'd take trains from there to go back home. And along the way, you know, I would, it was just so normal to see a woman with a child having no clothes because she has no money and she's begging you know, for like a few rupees so she can like buy a loaf of bread for her child. And I think that would just like, I really, really struggled. And you can probably see the emotion right now is, and I, and I still do a lot with like, how is this fit? How am I having like two layers of clothing to keep me warm? How am I having like good shoes on my feet? And like here that is somebody, you know, who, who doesn't even have a loaf of bread. Um, and the way I internalized that was, okay, Neha, you are going to, you know, you're going to be an engineer or whatever, like you're going to make a lot of money and then you're going to come back to India and give back. And I would always tell my, I remember once telling my mom, I'm going to come back to India. I'm going to open orphanages. So when I see children like these, we're going to pick them up and we're going to, you know, we're going to provide a home for them. So I felt like in so many ways, you know, I was very committed. Like I, I, I definitely had this desire of I need to get good grades, I need to get into good school, I need to find a good job. But I also had this thread in my head around like, but that can't be the point of it, right? It's not accumulating wealth for the sake of it. And there has to be something more. So I think I I carried both of those threads in my head, in my heart, <clears throat> as I navigated, you know, my teens, my college. And then, you know, I think to your question, okay, how did that inform my first job. So I did engineering. I came to the U.S. because again, that was something looking back. I had a lot of family in the U.S. It was, you know, it was just like, that's, that's what you do. That's what you do. So 
um, I came here and, you know, I'm a, I'm a very happy American citizen. We can probably, I can, you know, there's nuance there, but, you know, for the most part, I'm incredibly grateful to be, to be welcomed into this country. So I come here, I do, I go to grad school um, and I was really drawn to consulting. And I think it was the problem solving. I will say that was definitely that 22 year old or whatever, 21 year old, um, you know, just being drawn to it was, it felt very sexy for sure. And, you know, it's like, you get to travel and you get to, you know, I think, I think it was definitely the problem solving and the fact that it opens more doors. And yeah, I definitely felt like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. Um, So I think that was what drew me to consulting. So I spent my first few years in consulting. Um, And I will say, you know, it was, it was incredible in that I met some, you know, very interesting people. The work was intellectually very stimulating. And I could see, okay, I could make a lot of money. I could make, you know, keep climbing up. And there was this part of me of like, okay, if you can have that kind of wealth, there is so much you can do in the world. But what also became very clear to me, Kathy, very early on, probably even in the first few weeks, was that my soul is going to be crushed in that process. And I will say that my quest for, okay, then what is the point? If this is not what I thought I'm, I left home, went to boarding school, like went to engineering school, if this was not it, then what is it? And I often joke, I, I had my midlife crisis in my 20s because it was very unsettling for me. And now looking back, I'm like, sweetheart, like, it's okay. Everybody goes through it. Like, it's a journey. Let's stay curious. But, you know, I don't think I had that compassion for myself. Um, so if I could change, I, I would definitely want myself to be more compassionate towards all that unsettled emotion I carried. But that meant I did a bunch of experiments, both, you know, professionally. So I definitely worked in corporate. I tried out a lot of different things. But then even on their personal side, um, whether it was volunteering, I became a yoga teacher. I did my MBA in sustainable management because I was like, okay, climate change is where I'm going to contribute. Um, so I'm really grateful looking back um, that I tried a lot of different things, both you know, as part of my day job, as well as you know, hobbies or projects or you know, partnerships with people. Well, I... So much of what you shared. I mean, it's really interesting as you describe how you grew up and the influence of both your surroundings as well as the beautiful, you know, lessons you learned and what you got exposed to from your parents. And what I take away is just, yeah, and I get this from you, like just how much heart there is, right? And then, you know, yes, there's the head side of it, right? Like I, I'm good at math, I'm good at science, I can, you know, go do the work, right? But so much heart. And so, you know, and then you said as you went into consulting, and you know, I've done consulting too. Consulting has a lot of great things to it. And it's a good fit for some people and it may not be the right fit for everyone. And yet, you know, for you, you learned and I, you know, I applaud you for being discerning at that young age to have the insight or awareness to understand this could be soul crushing. And I'm curious if you'd be willing to share a little bit more about that just in terms of what was that really like for you in terms of what part of it? Because Again, for some people, it might not be soul crushing, right? But there are others out there who might be wired a little bit more like you who have a lot of heart. And I don't know if that's what drove it, but what like, yeah. what was the cue for you that it was soul crushing? I want to respond to that question with a lot of respect for people, as you said, you know, for soul. And, and I still, I was actually exchanging messages with somebody I really, really liked 
Um, and I really want to honor anybody who's listening, who works in consulting or who's at the firm that, you know, it really, I think you nailed it. It just was not the right fit for me versus, you know, was not abuse. It was not, you know, there was nothing wrong per se in, you know, it's just like, like, you know, there's so much bad stuff that can happen in, in corporate. So there was no like bullying. There was like, you know, there was, there was not of that for me personally, but I think what was the hardest for me there was, um, I just felt I was helping rich companies get richer mm-hmm. and I could not, I was like, if I have, I'm, I mean, I remember there was a week where I literally build hundred hours. Now I'm like, Neha, like what was wrong with you? You know? And again, I should be kind. Like I did not know how to draw boundaries. I did not know how to speak up for myself. Um, and I also want to add, you know, when I think of that specific example, like there was the layer of being an immigrant and just, you know, just feeling like I, I was gifted a ticket to be in this country and I got to put in the work and I got to do whatever it takes. They are my bosses and they're, you know, they've believed in me, they've hired me. I have to do whatever it takes. So I like the question of boundaries or the concept rather of boundaries was not even part of my lexicon. But, you know, back to the question of why was it so refreshing? I think the biggest one was if I'm going to be spending this much time, like if I'm working hundred hours, right, I'm giving up sleep. I remember that was I came back to work Monday morning. I could not remember people's names. Like that was the extent of just how much cognitive, um, you know, destruction had happened. Uh, thankfully it was temporarily. I did remember people's names after that. But for me, I think that was it. If I'm going to put my talent, I'm going to put my brains. Um, I wanted to be solving a different problem in the world. Like I was like, that is poverty. That is climate change. There is just so much else that I could be doing if I'm going to be working that much. Um, and then I would say the other thing that was so crushing for me was, you know, I was, I was 24 then and I was, I had so many other interests, you know, whether that meant like, I, I, I often joke, I'm like, I discovered yoga in Los Angeles of all places. You know, I, I had never run in my life and I did a half marathon living in Los Angeles. Like it was just healing running on the beach. Um, so to me, it was like, I did not think, you know, and I think your your podcast is so aptly titled, right? I did not think my ambition had to, like philosophically, I did not think my ambition should be at odds with my desire to run and take care of my body for 30 minutes a day. Like that, that should be how life should work and work should work. And, you know, I'm sure there are lots of people who, I mean, I, I did run a half marathon, I did train for it while I was working there, but it was just, there was something about it. I'm like, it should not be this hard. You know, I should not feel guilty to leave work at 6 p.m. But like, if, I mean, I remember once there was somebody leaving work at 5.30 and there was a manager with whom I was sitting in the conference room and he goes, oh, I think she's been leaving at 5.30 like too many days in a row. I think we need to give her more work. And when you're sitting there listening to that, you know, like I still remember how unsafe it felt in my body. So if I want to leave at 5.30, I have to be okay with the consequence of this is probably what will be said about me behind closed doors. Nobody said she was efficient. Nobody said she was good at managing her time. Nobody knows what time she started her day. Nobody knows. Maybe she had a sick family member in the hospital that she was going to see and was going to work at night. None of that mattered. And to me, I just felt like, like this cannot be the, this. And, you know, I was again, 24. I had not seen any other model of work. I had not seen any other model of leadership. But somewhere in my body, I just felt like this cannot be it. Mm. And, and I think all of that is what what I mean, like soul crushing, because to me, it wasn't that 
what I was longing for is like, oh, I don't want to work and I want to win the lottery and just somebody to take care of me. Like it wasn't that I really wanted to work. And, and I often joke, I'm like, I don't think I'm ever retiring, not because I'm addicted to work, but you know, I think there is something so meaningful about contributing, about learning, about being in connection with other humans. But that model of doing it just did not work for me. So then I was on this quest of like, what else is possible? Right. Yeah. And so you said you were pulled into experimentation. And I think it's so valuable that people allow themselves to step into experimentation. And I think I think a lot of people don't recognize how important or necessary, frankly, it is to try on a lot of different things to start to feel what might be right for you. So where did that experimentation take you? Yeah. So I would say, and, you know, before I go into experimentation and telling you all about it, I also, again, I think I have distance all from all of that. And I'm in such a grounded place that I can talk about it like very confidently today, but I want to acknowledge how hard it was, how unsettling it was. And, and as I tell you, like the examples of my experimentation, you know, that also meant I was not an expert in one field. Um, and for the longest time, including now, I, I often think about, oh, if I'd stayed in one industry and with one function, I would have made it, you know, very high up. And then I have to remind myself, okay, that is society's definition of success. And I think there is something very valuable about mastery. I really value mastery. Um, but but, the, you know, that was a cost I, I paid with the experimentation. And I still have many, many moments of emotional struggle. I think I'm in a much better place um, having done the work. Um, I've done the work, meaning just having, you know, done the emotional work of healing that part of my story. But but I've struggled with all of that. And I, I still have days, right? But back to your question of experimentation, what did I do? So, you know, after consulting, um, I did my MBA. I did a part-time MBA in sustainable management. And I worked, um, I worked in corporate sustainability. Then I was at LinkedIn for the longest time, which I, for anybody, all my LinkedIn friends who are listening, I miss you all. It was an incredible, incredible place to work. Um, and, you know, I went from consulting to sustainability. I did a stint in pro program management, and then I spent the longest time doing product marketing, which I absolutely loved. Um, and from, yeah, so I'll maybe pause there. So that was happening. Um, and then on the side, I became a yoga teacher and I would do workshops and retreats and it was incredibly fulfilling. Um, I also really, really loved to write. And I think that was, again, one of those childhood passions and interests. And I'm going to share a story with my writing because I think it might be helpful for some people. Um, I had I had a boss and it, it was in my consulting days who was very critical, not just about my writing, my business writing, um, but also just everybody's writing. And she would often, <clears throat> I don't, I, I want to like really honor that she probably was not aware she's doing this. So I don't think it was coming from that, from a bad place, but she'd make comments about, you know, like people with an accent and their writing or immigrants and their writing. And it was, I internalized that so deeply that I am not good at this, that for the longest time, I just never picked up a pen. I never wrote a paragraph on a Google doc. And then it was actually when I was pregnant with my first one, with my first son, where I, I still remember it was a sunny Christmas morning in California. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my blog. I'm going to write. And thank goodness, because that blog just, I think it opened a lot of external doors, but I think it just healed so many parts of me. Um, so that, you know, that was another part of experimentation for me. It's like, I did a lot of writing, um, 
And that was very, very meaningful to me. Um, and then it was in the, it was a few, like a year before the pandemic, it was 2019. I had a bit of a health issue and I'm fine. It was an infection. Um, but it was such a wake up call, Kathy, because it became so clear to me, um, that my body was trying to tell me something. And I was, you know, like, it was very clear. Like my body was like, you can keep doing this, climbing the corporate ladder, contributing to the world in this way, being a better leader. Like you're, you're like, you finally found what you like the ladder you wanted to climb and you've got it right. And you can keep doing this. But there was this, and I'm going to say this with the deepest humility, but it was like, but is this like your point? Like nothing wrong with the profession, with that body of work, but like, is this your path? And it became very clear. I was like, oh yeah, thank you for the reminder. Like, this is not my path. And, you know, I still stayed, <clears throat> I stayed on corporate, but I started my coach training. And I will say that was just, I'm a mother giving birth, being a parent is life-changing. And I would say, again, for me, getting my coach training was, was very life-changing. Um, I don't think it's fair to compare, but I'm, I'm using that as a metaphor, as an example of, it, for me, it was probably like comparable in very different ways. Um, and, and it was life-changing because of, I think, two big reasons. It became very clear. And, you know, a lot of our faculty were in their 60s and 70s. I mean, I remember we had one um, faculty member. I think he came in with a walking stick, you know? So, um, and I was like, it just was in my body clear. I'm like, this is what I want my 60s and 70s to look like. And again, I don't know if it meant I need to be a coach training teacher as much as it became very clear that I need to do more more of this type of work when I'm bringing out the best in other people. And I'll figure out like the brand, the niche, like, or like the many, like, it could be a book. It could be like lots of different things. But to me, it just became very clear about connecting people back to their power and their brilliance um, was what I wanted to do more of. And for anybody who's, you know, thinking about coach training, I will, I also tell, I also tell people like I have never seen so many tears in a professional setting. Uh, I mean, I, I would literally be blown away by how many tears we would all share together. Um, and these weren't tears of just trauma and grief. I mean, I think there was that, but there were also tears of dreams put on hold, of joys deprioritized, and, and just all the ways people were caught into the shoes when they had so many wants. And being in that environment and just seeing the collective power of that was just, like I'm, I'm still like having chills as I'm saying that because it really, really unlocked something in me. I didn't know I had myself. And then 2020 happened. Uh, and then I was in certification and, you know, I had two young kids then my younger one was three. I was still working at LinkedIn. I was, you know, so I had a real tech job. I had no childcare and, you know, everything that the pandemic brought, brought into our lives. But it's fascinating as I look back you know, I was doing very little coaching, maybe like a couple hours a week, if that. Um, but that was really my oxygen mask. Being coached, coaching other people imperfectly. I was still in training. I still figuring out what, what it means to coach somebody. And that really gave me so much sense of groundedness in the pandemic when everything else was crumbling. This was something I could come back to and, you know, cry myself with my coach, hold space for other people as they were processing what's happening in the world. Um, was just such a pivotal moment for me. And, and, you know, then we have George Floyd happening on the side. Well, I shouldn't even say on the side, that's disrespectful, but you know, there was 
there was there was all this racial reckoning happening in this country. And I feel embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to say this is I don't think I made like I never fully understood or acknowledged even for myself that I am an immigrant. I do not talk like Kathy. I have a different accent. I am a person with a brown skin. It was just like in the background. And, you know, in some ways, when they say you don't have to think about race because you're privileged to not think about race. And, and I think there is some truth to it. I, I don't think I've been explicitly marginalized. Yes, I think there's a lot. Now that I look back, yes, there were lots of moments in this country where I was like, oh, yeah, I think I wonder if there were strands of racism happening there. But I don't think anything was explicit enough where I had fully acknowledged it or I had ever taken the effort to understand what it means to be a Black person or a non-white person. And I felt like just with everything happening in the country, it gave me it gave me space and it gave me sort of a, a jolt like it did for many humans on the planet, rather, not just this country, of both recognizing my own privilege, my own marginalization, and what, and the same for so many other people, right? Like whether, yeah, I mean, we, we can go down a whole channel there. <laughs> but But that's when I think at the end of the year, as I looked at my roster, I was like, how are there so many people of color? How are they, how is that a gay man? Like I actually had two gay people on my roster. And I remember one of my clients told me, he's like, well, because you just get it. Like, I don't have to tell you what it feels like being paid less than a white man in this country. And it just was both like very, it was an honor to be told that. And it was also like a deep sense of responsibility, but it was also like, I just went through so many emotions just recognizing, oh my goodness, I am a person of color in this country. Um, and then, you know, I think back to your question of experimentation and sort of how I got to where I am. I was then recruited by a leading coaching company to lead product marketing for their diversity product. And at that point, I was honestly getting very close to like resigning from LinkedIn and just trusting that I can go do something on my own, even though I didn't exactly know what it's going to look like. But when this opportunity came in, I was like, okay, this is too good to be true. Um, I'm going to take it. And, you know, um, I was laid off from that job after about a year and it just felt like, okay, this is the time and I am going to go explore what it means to do more people-centric, people-centered work um, and experiment again and try and fail. And, and I think one of the things I want to name here for anyone considering something like this is I... I went through so much fear, like all these years when I knew I wanted to do something more heart-centered, more heart-based, more people-focused. Um, you know, they say you teach what you most need to learn. So I talk a lot about fear and the inner critic with my clients and my workshops. Um, so I, I definitely had to navigate a lot of that, including just, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable and say this here, it's just navigating uh, the fear of like, you know, the, the financial fears that come with walking away from a stable job that you, you know, you really like, I loved being at LinkedIn. I still have moments when I'm like, if I have to go back to corporate, that's what I'm going back to. And I understand that's not everybody's experience, but that, that was mine. Um, and still to be like, I'm going to give this a try, even though this is scary. Like it's still scary. I'm, I'm in very early, like I'm not even one year into full-time self-employment. So it's absolutely scary. There is so much rejection. There is so much, you know, 
but it's incredibly fulfilling. And I'm so glad I am on this path. And I also tell myself, I tell my clients is I'm, I'm holding onto this loosely in the sense I don't know where life will take me. I don't know where my life circumstances will take me, where my career will take me. And one of the things I've learned so much going on this path is how easy it is to get attached to like labels. Even now it's like, oh, but I, I am a coach and blah, blah, blah. And just to be like, at the end of the day, like none of those labels matter. And they're just, they're just labels. That doesn't change my worth as a human. That doesn't change my contribution as a human. Um, and to continue to love myself, even as the labels change and evolve is, is like, like, a, I feel like it's like work of a lifetime for me. Uh, well, thanks for sharing all of that, Neha. And being so transparent and vulnerable and what you're sharing so that people can feel themselves or hear themselves in your experience, right? And a lot of what I'm hearing and what you're sharing that I appreciate so much is that I hear this need, I believe there's a need to broaden our views of what ambition is. Yes. Right? That it's not just one thing. And on so many levels that you talked about. So you even still said, like, there's a cost I paid through that experimentation. And yet oh, yeah. I, I did a similar thing. And it's like, well, did we pay a cost? I don't yeah. know if we did, right? If we're on our own path and if we're, you know, and then you also talked about, you know, silencing voices, right? Or not honoring everyone's voice and how, like by stepping into that and allowing yourself to have a voice, how that was healing for you, right? Or like there's this idea of you falling, finding your path or finding your calling, or you even said um, something to the effect around, I finally found the path that I was supposed to be on. And yet you're like, but I still kind of wasn't a hundred percent certain that this was it. And I'm not going to, I'm forgetting who said this, but there's, there's a quote around, like, if the path is clear, it's, you're likely on somebody else's path. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, so, yeah. you know, so true. So true. <laughs> and so, you know, and you even said you hear it, you heard it in the coaching training there we're wired to, you know, do the shoulds. And I think sustainable ambition as well calls people into how do you start listening to those wants? How do you start listening to yourself and start thinking about self-authorship? There's a reason we do the shoulds early on because they're markers. We don't know ourselves well enough. So it's fine, right? Like find that values alignment to step into, but then you you know, as you start to know yourself more, step more into those wants, right? And so I really, um, I appreciate how much you're sharing this honoring of your continual journey of stepping into self-learning, experimentation, stepping into that, honoring what success is for you on your terms. And, you know, what's interesting, and I appreciate what you said too, in bringing up the idea of fear, because, the reality is that when you step off that clear path, it takes a lot of courage. And so, you know, I mean, and, and you find, I think you find a lot of support for that courage when you're in community, which is lovely, like why we're in community as well. And so, and it's interesting, I think as you step off that path too, because I've, I've grown into this as well, Neha, which is I, as I've let go a little bit more of the shoulds or what the path is supposed to look like, I surrender more and I s allow to step into, and I let seren uh, not serenity, serendipity play, play out a little bit more. So it's really, it's really interesting. At least those are some threads that I was kind of hearing. And, 
you know, you really starting in the work that you're doing to further step into your purpose, further step into what's calling you now. And I'm curious, as you've stepped into this life that you've designed, that's really more integrity with your purpose, you know, now what's, what's kind of different for you now? And what have you learned on the other side? Yeah. Can I double click on two other things that you've said before I answer that question? Sure. I want to acknowledge how much safety the shoots create, right? Or how much... For sure. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean, it's much safer to follow somebody else's path. And I'm saying that both, you know, career decisions, but also life decisions, right? Like if everybody says this restaurant is good, it it just, and you know, it's such a small thing, but it's, it's like, oh yeah, like everybody said it's good. So it must be good. And again, my point isn't that we should all find cities that nobody's living in or go to restaurants or read books other people are not reading, but just even acknowledging um, when we do that. And yet I deal with that fear. I navigate that fear every single day. And there are so many moments when the fear feels too much. I'm like, I'm just going to text my old boss and tell her that I'm coming and working for her again. Um, So I want to normalize that that is so real. Like, I think we just, you know, we glorify like, oh, just like, you know, wear your bravery hat or whatever, like just step into your courageous path and how hard it is. And I also want to acknowledge anyone who's hearing our conversation feeling like, oh my God, these women don't have fear. Like, no, we have a lot of fear For sure. and it is hard. Right. So I want to acknowledge that. Um, I think our question about what feels different being on, on this side of the the table. I remember the first few weeks, I I called my mom one day and I was like, mom, I've never felt so alive. And, you know, I'd been working for somebody in institutions for almost 15 years. And I would say even before that, I was very much in like, you know, I have to get good grades and I have to get in a good school and get a good job. So I was definitely, I don't regret that. I think it was it, ha- it played its role in my life and I'm grateful for what it brought into my life. But I don't think it was, I, I don't think I was brave enough to be like, well, what does Neha think is her path? Like I never, I don't think I had the courage to ask myself that question. Definitely not in my early twenties. And then obviously after that, it took me a while, even when I, as I sat with that question to find my answers. Um, so I think I've never felt more alive of just getting to know myself and honoring what, what I need, right? What, you know, and sort of in the spirit of ambition is, I feel very ambitious, even though on the outside, you know, my ambition may look very different, um, but it felt like ambition on my terms. So I think that like just feeling alive is a phrase I've been using often when people ask me that question. Um, I also think there is something very beautiful about not being chronically washed. And as a parent, I feel less torn. Now, that doesn't mean like I never work around them. In fact, even like with this podcast, I was telling the kids, like I actually was spending time last evening away from them as I was gathering my thoughts. And, um, but it was wonderful to tell them. It's like, mommy's going to be on a podcast tomorrow. I'm going to share a story. Um, so I don't even think I belong to the camp of, I never want to work around my kids or I, you know, I will not be making trade-offs, but the trade-offs feel more meaningful um, in this season. And the other thing that I've lately, I'm still like formulating my thoughts around this. So I might be a little more scattered, Kathy, but 
I think I'm also recognizing that there are so many micro T traumas that work inflicted on me or that I experienced in the workplace of just, yeah, like, like I said, like not recognizing that, well, of course I was the only brown person in the room. Or for me, it's not even just race and gender, but even, you know, having all these other passions and interests and often feeling and I think the the workplace has shifted a lot now, but I think if I think of, you know, where things were maybe a decade back, where if you said you have, you want to volunteer on an evening versus like being at work and doing extra work, like you were probably looked upon as like, you don't belong here. So I think there are lots of ways where I think I did accumulate pain and hurt. And it's been really powerful to heal that. And then I'm going to steal, well, I don't like the word steal. I'm going to borrow a phrase from one of my good friends, um, Ali O'Malley, who, who used this term self-authorship. Um, so I think that is that word coming to me too. And what's on the other side is there's just a lot of self-authorship. And if I'm making it sound very easy and very rosy, I, I want to acknowledge just the amount of fear that comes with all of it. And learning to dance with that fear it's a very different kind of fear. Like, you know, I think you have stress when you were working towards a corporate deadline and you're trying to organize whatever 20 stakeholders, like, yes, that brings one kind of fear and anxiety. But when you're literally on your own making all like work and life decisions, there is a very different kind of fear. And the, I, I don't think I'm ever going to escape that fear. Even five years from now, if I'm still on this path, uh, though I will say I'm getting, I think my practice is how do I get more comfortable knowing that the sphere is normal. It's part of the journey. And I think you alluded to support, right? I have way more support in my life right now than I've ever had. And just giving myself permission to receive that love and support and having the space, honestly, in many ways to um, create conditions for that support. Yeah. Thank you for all of that. Again, I just so appreciate you being open and honest for people, you know, and sharing your experience. And I think this idea of self-authorship too. So Robert Keegan, who talks about adult stages of development, and I'm only going to talk about two of them, you know, most of us live in this socialized mind, right? In the shoulds. Mm. And again, mm -hmm. this is normal. Like, you know, it's, it, we use these cues outside of us to guide us and help us make decisions. And yet at some point for many of us, we're called into self-authorship. And I think that's what I encourage from a sustainable ambition perspective as well. And, you know, you said earlier that, the shoulds, there's safety in that. There definitely is. It's almost in some ways, and I don't mean to criticize it in saying this, which is like, it is an easier path in many ways. Yeah. And yeah. I think when when one steps into both self-authorship, but I think you can still step into self-authorship and be still work within a corporate setting. But I think it's even more so stepping into self-authorship when you step into self-employment. Yep. And there's a lot of vulnerability in it. And yeah. there's you, you don't, one doesn't realize how much structure you lose when you step into that. And yeah. so, you know, there's, of course, when you have uncertainty, fear comes with uncertainty. So um, I can relate to what you're sharing because I'm on that self, self-employment path as well. And, you know, it, it is, it is a learning to dance with that fear. So I can, I can wholly appreciate um, what you're sharing in that and that you're being transparent about it as people kind of think about. And I, I think for both of us, we're, we're wired this way to kind of honor whatever works for people and what stage they're in and not to yeah. make it kind of this or that, you know, from a choice perspective, but really, you know, what's, what's most, 
what's the best fit for you and at this moment in time? You said something which I think was so powerful, which is because I suspect a lot of people listening to this are in corporate settings or, you know, whatever, like nonprofit or just working for an institution. And I don't want people taking away that self-authorship or having, you know, accessing this form of courage can only happen if you step out of an organization. And you said something that self-authorship is possible even when you're working within an institution. And I'm, you know, a lot, lot of my clients right now are people who work in companies. And I feel like my you know, I obviously honor their agenda, but my underlying, my personal agenda with them is always like, I hope they can see that they have, have an agency and an opportunity for self-authorship, even if it's a simple team meeting. Like, did you, you know, did you say what you wanted to say? Like, did you muster up the courage? And of course, you know, again, I'm oversimplifying. Sometimes it, it's not safe to say what you wanted to say, et cetera. Like, obviously that is all of that. But I think, I think you just, I think that's such an important point that we have access to self-authorship, especially when you're in the messy middle, when you're exploring what's next, or you know, like you want to move out of one city or move out of one, you know, one organization, like whatever that change is, to recognize that you will always, you know, we always have more power than we give ourselves credit for. I guess maybe that's the best way to summarize it. Mm, I love that. Thank you for punctuating that for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, as we start to wrap up, I'd love to just get two final questions in. The yeah. first one just being, what's on your horizon? Like, what's your next ambition? What are you stepping into? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting you asked me that because as I was reflecting on this year, I feel like for me this year feels more of what I did last year. So it is coaching individuals, organizations, writing, um, and uh, you know, I, I want a leadership program for mothers. So I want to continue doing all of that. And I also have this faith, and you know, I think you touched on this, like leaving room for serendipity, right? So, you know, this podcast, for example, like this was not on my like project plan, if you will, uh, but this, you know, I'm so glad we got connected. So I think leaving room and trusting that those some ways of that ambition manifesting will will happen the way it's meant to happen. Uh, while still, I think it's this dance between taking action and trusting what comes my way. Uh, and then if I sort of zoom out, I I love speaking. So I hope that there will be a season in my life when I'm doing more speaking. And I love to write. And, you know, I think, again, like the should with somebody who loves to write is, you know, people ask me all the time, oh, when will your book come out? When will you write a book? And I'm holding that, that thought lightly because yes, maybe it'll be a book, but you know, who knows, maybe that writing will take a different form. So I'm also keeping my heart open for what that will look like. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Well, I, I this has been wonderful. Again, thank you so much for being so open in your sharing. I'd love to just close with like, what's a final piece of advice or a takeaway you'd love to leave our listeners with? Mm, thank you for that, Kathy. It's, yeah, such a lovely conversation here with you. Um. If there was one thing I would leave people with would be, you know, we're so wired to, you know, when we think of relationships, when we think of leadership, it's always about other people. Like I want to build a better relationship with my partner, with my kids, with, you know, my team, my direct reports, my boss. And I think all of that is so meaningful, so beautiful. But I think what gets lost is what is it, you know, how, how is your relationship with yourself? How is, how well are you leading yourself? And I would really encourage and invite people both to like sit with that question, but really think about what does it look like in practice? Because it's not, 
oh, I heard this question on a podcast and like, I'll think about it two minutes and it's gone. Like to me, this is ongoing life's work. If you want to be a better leader out in the world, doing whatever it is you do, um, you got to start with yourself first. Um, so that's what, if there was one thing I could leave people with that, that would be my, that would be my, um, invitation. I love that. I love that. And we didn't get a chance to get into that more, but I, so I love that you're bringing that forward and leaving the people with that prompt and to sit with it and think about it as an ongoing practice and a call, yeah. um, calling them forward, frankly, like, how are you leading yeah. yourself? So that's wonderful. Renee, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so I have a newsletter on LinkedIn uh, called the new Le- a new leadership manifesto. So you're welcome to subscribe, read um, if if that speaks to you. And then I have my personal blog. So I write I write you know about ambition, about leadership, motherhood, sort of the intersection among the three um, on my personal blog. So that's my website nehamandhani.com. So you can go check it out and see if that speaks to you. And then I also run a lot of um, you know free gatherings for mothers. So again, you can you can find more information on my website where you can you know, message me on LinkedIn um, and would love to, you know, at least the mothers on the, on this, on this show who might be interested in just diving a bit deeper into some of these topics. We definitely, um, you know, I create space. We, we create space together with alongside all the other mothers who join um, to really explore some of these topics. So would, would so love to see people from, from the show. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I will capture all of that in the show notes, of course. And so thank you so much, Neha, for doing this, for sharing your story. And as I've said many times, being so honest and open in doing so and telling us what's been real for you and open and honest and helping us all to expand our own views of what ambition can be for each of us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kathy. And, you know, um, in the spirit of being open for, for listeners listening, I will say, you know, when Kathy and I first got on this call, I was like, Kathy, I'm nervous. And I don't think I felt nervous as, as the conversation moved on. And I really want to thank you for creating such a safe space, um, for enabling me to be open, for enabling me to, you know, share the messy and the beautiful parts of my story. Because here's the thing, look, we all have messy and beautiful parts of our lives, of our stories. And, you know, that's what makes us human. So I am, again, so, so grateful for the show, for you and and for all that you do for the community. I mean, again, um, such a meaningful body of work, you know, just even helping us think about ambition in a more sustainable way, like that's such a gift. So thank you, Kathy. Uh, thanks, Neha. This has been lovely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.